So it's been forever and a day since we talked. How are things going? Pretty good. I had to check our uh, site, and it's been over a year since I've spoken with you. Yeah, I just pulled it up just now. It says September 17th, 2017. Yeah. Uh, September 1st. Is it first? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So what's new in your life since uh, September 1st, 2017? All sorts of stuff. Let's see. Um, we've been working on our Airstream. Um, tons of work with that. I took a new job. Um, I don't know if I should say who I'm working for, but I have uh, <laughs> transitioned over into more of the embedded space. So that's kind of a cool thing. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about that. It's been very fun. This is starting my third week there. And um, I'm still doing a little bit of web dev, but for the most part, it's uh, it's been great because I get to venture into a slightly different side of web dev, which is good. So do you want to expand on what kind of stuff you're doing now? Yeah, so um, I will tell you, yeah, I guess I'll tell you who I work for. I work <laughs> for uh, GE and their connected home um, stuff. So it's slightly different from their LED lighting. I had no idea the way all this stuff was broken out, but LED lighting is completely marketed different and sold different and distributed different than their connected home, which is considered to be like in the technology space. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Cool. And like, what are you, are you in C or like what, uh, language are you doing stuff in? Well, um, right now I'm writing stuff in go and, um, yeah, there's some C stuff like firmwares and stuff, but, um, I don't have my hands on that exactly yet, but yeah, it's a, a lot of the, everything you would expect, low level embedded stuff, um, Bluetooth, low energy stuff and, um, you know, light bulbs and various, um, I guess we call them hubs. So you would have something that, um, either, you know, you connect your bulbs to this hub and then you have like a, uh, a hub network, or you can have a Bluetooth low energy mesh where it's just your phone talking directly to the bulbs. So yeah, writing some go, a little bit of front end stuff. Um, I'm doing tooling right now for, uh, our QA folks. So, and I can't talk about anything up on the horizon, but there are many things up on the horizon that are very cool and very, very much along the lines of what you're saying though, like low level embedded stuff. Yeah. So, um, I assume that you're like, you have to go into an office and stuff, right? Yep. I'm going into an office. Um, it's kind of neat though, because they're running their connected home, um, a little bit different. They're running it very much like a startup. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, GE has unlimited, um, PTO and stuff, which is kind of nice. And hmm. I was like, Oh man, yeah, sure. Unlimited PTO. You take three <laughs> weeks off and you get fired. They actually don't even have a system to like enter it in and track it. And I was like, really? They're like, Nope. <laughs> if your boss approves it, you can, you can take time off. Nice. And so how's your commute versus where you were working before? It's, um, 35 miles each direction, but it takes me about the same amount of time. Cause I drive through some back roads and stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I got to hear about what you're working on because uh, 
I think there's been a whole bunch of stuff that you've been doing. Like there was a hackathon that came and went and you were working on stuff there. No, I didn't go to that one. Um, I had a kid in May. Oh. So I have been working on the kid, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Life hack. Yeah. So he's uh, almost five months old now. And uh, I have not been getting much sleep lately and all that fun stuff, but yeah. Um, so for me, otherwise, just uh, same old tech stuff, doing pushover and open BSD in my spare time, and uh, that's about it. Yeah, well, congratulations on the kid. That's a, that's very awesome. Thank you. Welcome to the uh, Sleepless Nights. I, I kind of joked with somebody on YouTube they were like, oh, look, we had our baby. And it's like two or three weeks or something. And they're like, we're not getting any sleep. I want to sleep all day. And I was like, go ahead and sleep all day. <laughs> um, newborns are like a ton of work. And then they become toddlers and they get into everything. And then they're a ton more work. So right. you better catch up while you can. <laughs> yeah, we've been uh, trying to sleep train him lately. So hopefully he'll be able to at least sleep through the night, which would be good for uh, mother and me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think um, they do that like sleep regression. So like you kind of get your your nights and days going and then they flip it and then they go back and then they flip it again and then they go back (laughs) and hopefully there's not a third time. (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy, man. So how are things going with pushover? Uh, Pretty good. It's it's pretty much replaced all of my uh, other work as far as my company goes so i don't like do any consulting or much hosting anymore it's basically just pushover is uh taking over everything and is my uh, primary source of income which is kind of weird because it's just a an app and i guess if one day google or somebody decides to make the same exact thing then uh i won't have any more income but i guess that'll uh down the road when that happens but yeah it's it's good it's uh growing steadily and the uh pushover for teams thing that i have that's like for companies and stuff Mm -hmm. um that's like a monthly service offering instead of the just five dollars once uh which everybody else pays yeah so it's nice to have more uh recurring revenue coming in every month um and so that's growing steadily that's awesome. I'm going to pretend that I'm a little bit naive here. I probably am, but um, are there any plans to do like pushover stuff in the browser, um, like desktop notifications and stuff? Yeah, it has uh, a desktop client now, which is actually just a web site, um, and then you can get notifications in the browser if you have the like web uh, client open. Mm-hmm. And then I'm uh, uh, working on the stuff that does push notifications directly to Chrome and uh, Firefox, okay. which works like in the background. So if you have the browser open, you don't have to have the actual like tab open to the site and you'll still get notifications. That's awesome. Um, so that stuff is pretty much done. I just haven't rolled it out yet. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I kept thinking about you. I think I may have messaged you on IRC a few days when, um, we had a, f- a few mobile apps that we were doing and I was kind of uh, working on push stuff and I yeah. was like, Oh man, I should reach out to JCS. Cause I think what it was is um, 
we had an iOS and an Android version and iOS started off with Apple's built-in stuff. And then the Android started with, um, the Firebase cloud messaging Mm -hmm. and they were both being migrated from, um, what was it? Amazon SNS or something like that. Okay. So they were really old. That's what our legacy app uh, used. And then we were migrating them both. And I was like, you know what? We should just use um, the same thing for Android and iOS. And eventually we, we decided like, okay, Firebase cloud messaging, is, is it makes sense. Let's, let's roll it in there and all that stuff. But all the time I was playing with Push, I wanted to like uh, reach out and say hi and talk about it because we were having fun with all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I actually just had to migrate... Um pushovers uh android app from the old uh gcm on android uh to firebase because google is uh shutting down the gcm thing soon which is actually the third migration i've had to do because it started as uh c2dm and then they migrated it to gcm and then now they're doing firebase yeah um so it was like a whole bunch of backend changes and uh was quite stressful to roll that out because I have like three test devices. Mm-hmm. So I'm basically just relying on like whether it works for me and then pushing out some betas and uh, hoping that the like, you know, few dozen beta testers that I have will report anything, but they never do. Hmm. Do you ever run into issues that don't get reported? Uh, I don't know. They don't get reported, <laughs> so I don't know. That's like if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it. Yeah, I, I think I was thinking about the beta channel, though, like um, we were doing a, a test flight with our iOS users and yeah. and there was a process. And I think after a while, people just stopped wanting to give feedback on stuff because stuff would pop up and you would never hear about it. And then it would hit production. And you'd be like, huh, this is kind of strange. Do you know yeah. this doesn't work? Yeah. Yeah. I think most of my beta testers, like they're these like serial beta testers, they just want to get on as many beta programs as they can because they think they're going to get stuff for free, mm-hmm. even though they're like they're not. They don't actually care about like making the app better. So there's still only like three people on my betas that actually ever report stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, technology's fun, isn't it? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm looking through my website to see like what has actually happened in the last year because mm-hmm. it seems like so much. Um, in uh, October of 2017, OpenBSD 6.2 came out. That seems like so long ago. Yeah, I was I was actually thinking about that because I think it was yesterday, or maybe even today, that I was talking to somebody and 6.4 came out, and I didn't even it didn't register with me that it was time for 6.4 to come out yet. So, kind of took me uh, by surprise. Yeah. So I guess. Well, 6.4 just came out of beta, so I guess that'll be tagged soon, and uh, I think Theo said that uh, the ABI is locked, so mm-hmm. you can't change any uh, interfaces, but you can still tweak some stuff. Yep. Shake out any bugs that pop through, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else? In uh, November 2017, oh, that's when I wrote... Uh, that article about switching from one password to Bitwarden. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's not familiar with Bitwarden, it's basically an open source uh, password manager and they have uh, basically all the same browser plugins, a desktop app, um, command line app, 
in a web-based thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all open source and it's all pretty much done by one guy, kind of how I do pushover. Um, and so he makes the source available, but he basically relies on most people just paying for it because they don't want to run their own, uh, you know, backend to host their own database. Right. So I, uh, looked into this cause I wanted to drop one password because of, um, one password is basically switching. They're trying to get everybody to switch from just downloading or buying the app, you know, once a year mm-hmm. to uh, like a subscription. And I didn't really want to do that. And they're also trying to push people away from hosting their own one password file in like a Dropbox. And mm-hmm. they want you to host the database on their servers. So Bitwarden kind of works that same way, but you can actually just host the whole server on your own. So I looked into it and then I realized that uh, the whole backend server is written in C-sharp and requires Microsoft SQL Server. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, I'm not running that. So I basically, um, there was was also no like protocol information about like the API that it uses internally. So Uh I basically like made a little program to act as a man in the middle and dump all the traffic between the browser plugin and their like web service to see mm. what API it was uh, using. So I wrote up all the documentation and then I basically wrote a, uh, a from scratch implementation of that API in Ruby. And it just uses like a little SQLite uh, database. So the whole thing is basically like self-contained. And so I wrote out an article about it and um, it seemed to be fairly popular because the uh, GitHub project is pretty active with people, uh, wanting to use it and uh, filing bugs and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is awesome. Good work. Yeah. So now I'm uh, using Bitwarden on OpenBSD and my phone. And yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll link to that article in, in the uh, show notes if you want to look at uh, Bitwarden. And if you don't want to run your own server, then you can just uh, pay this guy. It's like 10 bucks a year or something to support this guy. And uh, it's... Uh, it's pretty cool. Sounds like it. Yeah, I um, I've been reading a lot about uh, password storage, and this is not a related product, I don't think. But um, we started using Vault for things like builds um, instead of setting environment variables and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I don't know what a Vault is, and and somebody was like, Oh, you need to become familiar with the HashiCorp stuff. It's actually good stuff. And um, that was at the last place I was working, and then. I went uh, to GE, and the first thing they said was like, hey, are you going to start using um, Vault to store all these passwords? And I, I was like, why would I want to do that? And <laughs> then it kind of registered with me like, oh, yeah, of course. you know, like, um, But I don't think that um, Vault is supposed to be used for uh, storing credentials like this. I think it's supposed to be more um, like long-term, uh, like storing for build servers and things like that. Um, that, you know, you don't want to expose these things, uh, in an environment variable, you want the, the build process to reach out, grab the credentials, use it, and then forget about it. I don't think it's as much designed for like, uh, web applications to do authentication against, um, at least not what I read initially. And, um, so anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, everybody seems to know about the HashiCorp stuff and I 
I hadn't heard about it, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to put it in the database like like we did in the olden days. Right. But apparently the olden days are come and gone now. I'm, I'm on like my third wave of um, people who were born and raised in the cloud environment, <laughs> and they right. just use Google storage backends and, um, you know, AWS um, profile services and authentication systems and all that stuff. So that's kind of a big change for me. Yeah. Well, I guess before that, uh, that wave that you're in right now, there was that wave of like putting all your, uh, credentials in environment variables. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think, I don't know if I changed it or, yeah, I think I changed it in, uh, OpenBSD, you can actually see the environment of other, or you could see the environment of other processes. Hmm. And we were like the only operating system still doing that, which is why I guess I never took to putting stuff in environment variables, <laughs> like secrets and stuff. So it was a common thing to do that on like Linux and stuff. So, um, I looked, you know, I was like, why would, you know, you can see this or you can see another processes, uh, environment. And I checked it on Linux and you can't. And I was like, oh, that's weird. So I started looking at like Mac OS and all these other things and we were the only ones uh, still doing it. Hmm. So I changed that in uh, the kernel at some point because hmm. it just, uh, yeah, seems like a bad thing to allow. Yeah. I think the right way to fix it nowadays, though, is to have the OS reach out to uh, Vault with API calls. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the kernel. Yeah. Yeah. In the kernel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you were talking about OSX, and I noticed the other day um, I saw um, an SSH debug, and like I was like, "Oh, they're connecting from uh, OpenSSH, and they're using LibreSSL. That's pretty cool." And yeah. I was like, "Huh, where's that coming from?" And I looked, and it's like the default in OSX now. Um, I don't know how long that's been like that, but it was the first time that I observed it. Yeah, it's been out there a while. I think uh, I had a tweet the f the first first uh, macOS release that switch to that hmm. um but yeah that's pretty cool yeah i had to wear my uh keep calm and choose <laughs> libri ssl shirt like a, a day or two later <laughs> yeah uh let's see what else i'm just cruising through all these uh things here oh i finally got gigabit internet at my house oh yeah i think in December, uh, yeah you were talking about that right because you uh were working with the um, the wireless setup to make it, uh, work a little bit better. Yeah. So I basically have uh full gigabit, uh, down and up at home now. So it can do like 900 and, uh, I don't know, 950 megabits per second. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, so then the bottleneck on my network was becoming the, uh, the wireless access points because they obviously can't do gigabit. Right. And, uh, I figured out that, uh, my OpenBSD laptop was always joining the, uh, wireless on a 2.4 gigahertz channel and it was doing like 150 K a second. It was like ridiculous. Wow. Um, but the thing is that on 2.4 gigahertz you get slow or I was getting slow speeds, but, but very low latency, which is why it never bothered me before. Mm -hmm. Um, so I never really noticed the, the throughput, uh, until I forced it to a five gigahertz channel, which my access points, uh, support. And so it went from 155 kilobits per second to 21 megabits per second. Wow. Which is still, um, 
not great, but it's, you know, a lot better than it was. So then I actually changed that in the uh, OpenBSD kernel to, there's like an algorithm that it uses to basically go through the list of access points that are nearby. Mm-hmm. And then it figures out like the, the priority of which one it's going to join. So I made it prefer, um, it was basically joining the 2.4 gigahertz channel because uh, the 5 gigahertz frequency was um, kind of saturated. Mm-hmm. So it was getting a weaker signal uh, and then preferring the 2.4 gigahertz. But the 5 gigahertz uh, is so much faster that even with a little bit of a little bit more noise, it's still much better than 2.4 gigahertz. Yeah. So I basically tweaked that algorithm to prefer those uh, slightly crowded 5 gigahertz channels. And I think it's been changed again since then with all the auto join stuff. But um, yeah. yeah, it made a big help on my network and now I'm getting uh, pretty fast speeds. Yeah, that's awesome. Isn't the um, the 5 gigahertz band also like wider child uh, channels? So you can get like, um, I, th- I think like 2.4 gigahertz, I think you have like 80 channels, um, if memory serves me correctly. And five five gigahertz or five point eight gigahertz is like maybe six channels or something like that. I can't remember. I'm just winging that off the top of my head, but I think that's part of the reason they're they're wider channels. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's not that important. I've yeah. been kind of dabbling in that area a lot lately, so I guess the uh, Bluetooth lower energy space is uh, slightly different, but it also operates on. 2.4 gigahertz um and they use it i don't know slightly differently there's like broadcast channels there's three broadcast channels so you don't have uh 40 channels or 80 channels or whatever it is you wind up having three less than that so um anyway it was just kind of rattling around in my brain and when you started talking about the wireless it made me think of it yeah um let's see oh so i bought um the 2017 MacBook, the 12 inch one mm-hmm. with the terrible keyboard. Um, but the Bluetooth or the, the Broadcom wireless that's built into that, uh, it works in OpenBSD now because of Patrick's awesome BWFM driver. Yeah. So I tried OpenBSD on that and uh, I had a tweet with a screenshot of doing a speed test. It got 194 megabits down and 91 megabits up. Um, which is a lot faster than I'm seeing on the IWM device on my other laptops. Um, but then that MacBook needed like a whole new, uh, SPI, uh, keyboard and touchpad driver. And I tried working on that for a few months and then just gave up and sold that laptop anyway, cause it, the <laughs> keyboard is just garbage. So <laughs> I gave up supporting that or trying to support that anyway. But, yeah. uh, yeah, the BWFM driver, uh, is pretty cool and it's quite fast. Uh, it works on the MacBook pro that I have. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty fast. Yeah. Talking about, uh, Patrick, he, he did something, um, didn't he do some work on the firmware too? Um, man, I'm, I'm totally drawing a blank on this, but I know he was talking about the firmware being slightly, uh, more secure with what he had worked on. Um, and I don't remember what that ties back to. I don't hmm. know if you recall the conversation or not, but he was 
uh, talking about some stuff that he did to make it uh, more secure. I don't remember what it was now, though. Yeah, I'm not sure either. That's cool stuff. Yeah, um, the what is it called in uh, in OSX? Is it uh, XPC? Is that the framework for exposing services? Uh, sure. I don't know. I think I think it's XPC, and uh, mm-hmm. I started to work on a thing that I can't really talk about. I guess, but it's a tool to interface with the uh, the Bluetooth radios on Mac and. Um, that was one of the things that I kept running into um, as I was like, you know, what is, what is all this XPC stuff? And I couldn't understand like why this go library wanted to talk to this XPC service. And apparently that's how um, OS X exposes that stuff to the user space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know too much about it, but uh, it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, that's what it is. XPC service API, low-level uh, inter-process, I don't know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but it, it gave access to uh, a Go library uh, to talk to the Bluetooth radio. So um, it was it was kind of an interesting thing. I was like, I don't know what an XPC is. I don't know if this is like Bluetooth stuff that I don't understand or like what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a very low-level uh, inter-process communication mechanism. So anyway, kind of dove into that a little bit. And that was uh, a strange uh, place to be in, having a Go library, because I can understand Go. I work well in Go. And then yeah. having to understand this, decipher this XPC framework that someone had done uh, to try and implement some proprietary bits. Um and then my coworker said, no, you don't have to do all that. And I was like, all right, well, whatever. He's like, that's too low level. And I was like, okay. <laughs> too <laughs> low level. So, if you say so. <laughs> so, but yeah, I found a, a Go library for managing B, uh, BLE stuff. And uh, I want to say it was Gobble, Go BLE. Okay. And it was doing all that kind of crazy stuff. So but that's that just, the world. That just interfaces with the system bluetooth stuff though right like it's yep. not an actual bluetooth stack yep that's correct oh, yeah. okay because that'd be cool if you could do like a user land bluetooth stack on OpenBSD, since we have none yeah i know i that was the first thing i started to think about is like man i'm really starting to learn a lot about how bluetooth works um are you saying that you're gonna write OpenBSD's next bluetooth stack no probably not i'm oh. probably i probably can't actually because of uh the contracts I decided to sign to work at GE. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, there's a, there would be a little bit of a conflict. I think there, yeah, <laughs> I can, I did make sure that I could still contribute to OpenBSD, but I couldn't contribute in this capacity based on some of the other things that I'll be working on. Yeah. OpenBSD 6.3 came out. When was that? March. April. Yeah, gonna, yeah. April. Um, April Fools. It wasn't on April 1st, but... Yeah, it was uh, the 2nd. Yeah. Um, so that gets us into 2018. Then, uh, oh, I implemented scrollback in, uh, like, Intel DRM. So mm. on the console, you can shift page up to scroll back, just like you can on the old VGA consoles. Um, 
So that's kind of neat. It works for EFI frame buffer too. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I don't know why we went that long without scroll back because it wasn't that difficult. But anywho, um, huh. what else? May, they had a kid. Um, June. Oh, so I've been playing with these, the airport extreme access points that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I figured out that they, or I guess I learned that they run NetBSD. So all this time I've been running these access points in my house and I had no idea that they run NetBSD. I just assumed that they ran some kind of like custom thing from that Apple made. Wow. Um, but you can just like send it a magic packet if you have the like admin password to it. And mm-hmm. it basically just enables SSH. So you hmm. send it a, a thing, like a request to enable SSH or their debug mode or whatever they call it, but it just uh, turns on open SSH. And then you tell it to reboot, and it comes in, and you can SSH in as root and do all the stuff. You got, like, TCP dump. You got all the, uh, you know, interface information. It's pretty cool. Hmm. Uh, and then I was playing around with that some more, and then I figured out a uh, security vulnerability in the uh, airport extreme that I reported to Apple three months ago now, and I'm uh-huh. still waiting for them to uh, fix it and announce it. So, oh man, yeah, they did uh, listen to you though, right? Yeah, they responded right away, and I've been assigned a security dude. Um, but he's basically just every time I ask for an update, he's like, "Yeah, we're still working on it," and I'm like, "You know what? It's been it's approaching ninety days." Uh, you guys need to like tell me when you're actually going to fix this or else I'm going to announce it. Cause yeah. I figure, you know, 90 days, that's what Google gives with their uh, project zero and uh, Apple mm. should be used to doing things within 90 days. I mean, are, are they going to get it like backported into NetBSD, or is it something that is uh, localized to their software on the device or what? Yeah. It's specific to their firmware, but it's okay. uh well, yeah, it's specific to their stuff, but I won't really go into what it actually is. Yeah. Hmm. Um, let's see what else. Um, oh, I was playing around with Crystal, the uh, programming language. Mm-hmm. That is basically it. The syntax is very much like Ruby. Um, you can basically write a lot of, you know, just like copy and paste a bunch of Ruby code, and it works in Crystal. Um, but it's statically typed. And oh, nice. It, compiles down to uh like with llvm so it's like ruby but it gives you better uh protection against you know errors and stuff and it's much faster and it has like a native um has a native like channel kind of thing like go has where you Mm -hmm. can uh like go channels or whatever so um i was just playing around with it and it broke on a newer uh, OpenBSD versions hmm. because of the uh, map stack stuff that went into the kernel. Oh, yeah. So I had to patch Crystal, and then I got all my changes upstreamed, so um, Crystal works on OpenBSD out of the box now. That's awesome. And then I uh, imported the port that some guy made that had been working on this stuff. Um, so now for OpenBSD 6.4, we will ship a... Uh, a uh, crystal package. That's really cool, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're talking about the stuff in Go. I didn't know how much I missed that until I wasn't writing it 
and then I started writing it again and I was like, yeah. Yeah. Cause you've been doing, you had been doing JavaScript for a long time, right? Oh yeah. It was all, and it was, it wasn't uh ES five. It was all ES six. And I was writing heavy uh, react front ends and I was not really digging on that too much. Um, it, it was, a, it was like, it was one thing to learn ES six and it was an, another thing to like learn how to, how react works. But, um, cause I'm all about trying something new, but react is so heavy as a front end and, uh, it produces, um, you know, an okay result. But I mean, we were running into issues with menus and stuff and they had like eight items in them and it was like a performance issue because of how all the nested components re-render. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous kind of the things that we ran into and there's all these libraries around it. And as soon as I got out of JavaScript and I started writing go again, I was like, Oh man, here we go. Like this is, this is fun. And I started to, um, get into some testing stuff. Um, uh, the database layer, um, you know, today I was working on stuff to, uh, to mock out the database layer so that I can do unit tests on my, uh, my HTTP handlers. It's, it's fantastic. And, uh, I'm really happy that I'm writing stuff in there again. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. I mean, I hear you talking about your Ruby stuff and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we, we have our things and that's fine. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, writing, writing go codes, I don't know, rather satisfying. And, uh, it seems to be a very well-suited tool these days. I don't know. A lot of people are doing a lot of cool stuff with it. It seems like, yeah, I was, uh, Let's see. The last time I had to do stuff in Go was um, was when I was working on the SSH daemon for my BBS. Mm-hmm. Um, and I there's you know the existing uh, Go package for writing SSH servers, mm-hmm. and I wanted to add some features to it like uh, enabling um, no authentication uh, banners, like silly stuff, and it just took forever getting those things upstreamed like. Mm-hmm. Working with the Go, um, is it Garrett? Their like change review yep. system. It's 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 so foreign, and I'm I'm sure all the Google people are used to it, but it's so awkward to use if you've never used it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like you know, the guys that would uh, approve those changes, they just like every time I would change something, they're like, "Oh yeah, and you need to change all of this stuff too." <laughs> so I'd go back and forth, and you know make the changes and then push them up there and then they'd be like they'd review it again and be like oh no you have to change this now too and whatever and i think they're all still open like i just gave up because it was such a rough process trying to get that stuff pushed through yeah and at some point i you know it was like they wanted me to um change the spelling of something or change just a like a comment on something mm-hmm. and it, it took them you know weeks to do that so i had already fallen out of the like process that it took to to do all that because you have to like uh do stuff with git but then you have to like use this different command line program that pushes your stuff to their repo and whatever and so i had forgotten all of it and i was just like can't you guys just do like just commit to it yourself and then (laughs) approve it like i'm tired of going back and forth on this so anyway all those changes i think are still open and have not been uh upstreamed yeah, because they do a weird thing where they um, where they say, like, uh, it won't make this release. And I think they have the specific work slated for, like, however many releases that they're going to do, the minor releases and then the major releases and stuff. And 
they they push stuff back so far. Um, I was working on the um, what was it? The race detection. Somebody on IRC was asking me about it, and I was like, oh yeah. And I looked into it, and I'm like, here it is. And I actually, um, I believe I got it uh, working locally, and um, it was just basically like plumbing. You know, like tell uh, the build system that um, OpenBSD AMD 64 can support the race detection. And it went and discovered a bunch of stuff and it was, it was going to work. And that's basically where that thing died. I was like, unless, um, I think who's the guy who does it? Uh, Joel, that doesn't matter. One of the, one of the Googlers who also works on OpenBSD. Um, oh yeah. Joel Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, if he doesn't do it, it never gets up upstreamed. And, uh, I remember the same thing happened with the um, with the flag um, having to mark the stack. Yeah, the map uh, stack. Yeah, the map stack stuff. Yeah, I did same thing I had to do in Crystal. Yeah, I mean, I worked on that, and my solution, like Theo, was like hammering me on ICB about it, <laughs> and and like uh, I showed him some stuff that I had, like a diff that I'd done, and I said, "Hey, here's here's my approach," and he said, "You know, that's a little bit too much." Um, and I was like, you know, I don't think it is and whatever. And uh, I think Joel did another, maybe it was Joel, maybe it was somebody else, but they had uh, the actual implementation to make that work. And it was very similar to what I had, uh, which was kind of reassuring. I had researched how all that stuff gets allocated and used. Uh, and I, I was pretty sure that only the stuff that should have been flagged got flagged. Uh, and they went about it slightly differently. But um, anyway, that was the same thing. I was like, this will never go anywhere. Like, I'll never be able to <laughs> get this back upstream. Yeah. Um, I think whatever happened with Chrome that one time when I was goofing around with my YubiKey, basically I lost all hope in getting anything upstreamed back into those kind of projects. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like our uh, Firefox, everything has to go through uh, Landry. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to do, Brandon? <laughs> Are you still working on your Chromebook, on your HP? Um, I had a while back. Um, man, what was I doing with it? I think it was um, – uh, I was talking to Ketnis about um, the device tree um, having, I don't know, like subnodes or something like that. Um, and I want to say – gosh, what was it? Um, help, help me remember what the, uh, ACPI stuff is. Right. Um, and we don't support like multiple devices off of a single node, I think is the way it was. Hmm. Um, and so there was, there needed to be a, like a parsing update in order for that to work. And, uh, and I just kind of gave up on it again. I tried a few <laughs> things and I worked on it a bunch and I was like, Oh man, I'm never going to get this. Cause, uh, I was looking at a driver that you wrote the, was it? DWCI or something or DWIIC IIC yeah, yeah that's what uh, and it does a similar thing where it kind of like jumps out uh, and does something uh, with AHCI I think that's what it was I don't know I can't remember then I gave up I was like yeah I'm done oh you mean just like the ACPI attachment yes versus like a PCI attachment yep yeah because exactly that was right. all for the MMC stuff right because yep. you still can't boot to like make it actually read the the built-in storage. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but as far as I know, it basically we have to update the parsing to support multiple devices on a single node. And I remember dumping 
I don't know what those files are called. I can't remember, but I dumped a whole bunch of stuff out and I read it and I was like, Oh yeah, here's what's going on. And, uh, that was the change that was needed and I never pulled it off. I could never make it work. And so I gave up again. (laughs) Mm. Are you still using it with Chrome or Chrome OS? Um, no, because Chrome OS gets hosed up whenever I boot OpenBSD on there and I'm not sure what it is. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to like flash it. Like I have to do a recovery flash every time I use OpenBSD on there. Oh, wow. So I use it with the uh, micro SD card and a mouse uh, from time to time. But uh, yeah, there's there's actually some good Go code on there that I wrote that I was like, oh, yeah, I did a whole bunch of like image processing stuff nice. in Go where it like took our photo galleries and I uploaded like a, a zip file of thousands of photos and it uh, basically extracts them all and resizes them all in the background and stuff so you have like uh thumbnails and stuff nice but it runs really slow on there because it's a micro sd card yeah it would run only slightly less slow if i had the mmc working but (laughs) yeah so um in august i bought the uh microsoft surface go tablet Mm -hmm. thing yeah and they make two versions of it and then the one i got has an nvme SSD and then the cheaper one has the MMC storage mm-hmm. and just from all the headaches that you had with the MMC on that Chromebook I was like yeah I'm not gonna <laughs> I'll fork <laughs> over the extra money for the NVMe yeah yeah I, apparently MMC is a fairly straightforward thing to get working but um there's been a few people I've talked to who are like yeah, it's straightforward, but it's a pain. And I was like, "How? Do, I don't. It doesn't make sense to me that it can be straightforward and a pain, but it is apparently." Right. So, well, cool. So, new baby. We've done a bunch of stuff on the camper. Let's see. I don't know. Yeah, we uh, may as well wrap it up with camper chat. Yeah, my airstream. <laughs> we picked it up. Uh, I built a couple cranes. I had all the. All my neighbors come over. I built a couple, yeah, a couple cranes, small cranes, uh, uh, gantry cranes. And we put the chain falls up and we hoisted the shell off of the old frame. Mm. And then uh, I think that was August, maybe sometime in August. And then the next weekend, we got the new frame that had been welded for some time now. And we uh, backed it up under the shell and set it down on there. And we've been working on everything else ever since we've been uh patching things that we you know removed from the shell we've been polishing things we've been uh wire brushing some uh some stuff on the frame that didn't get paint on it all the way and so we're cleaning that stuff up but uh yeah it's been a lot of work and we got all the windows out of it and we're cleaning all the windows up getting new seals on them fixing rivets all that kind of stuff that's quite a extensive project yeah. Have you been able to use it? Uh, no, not yet. It should be a, um, a fairly nice tent here in probably a month. Um, we'll have it all weathered in. Basically right now we're like removing all the old sealant and stuff and putting new sealant on, fixing the rivets, and uh, we will attach it to the frame here fairly soon. Um, we have all the plywood and stuff, um, marine grade plywood so that the water doesn't uh, delaminate the layers. and. Mm-hmm we got to get all that in between the shell and the frame and bolt it all up. And we have to get everything relatively squared up in order to do that. So 
but yeah, it'll be fairly useful pretty soon. Um, wiring going in and all that kind of stuff. So soon it'll be on the road. We're hoping to do Christmas in it, which is kind of like what the boys want. Um, my wife is kind of indifferent about it. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> but the boys are like, yeah, and we can have LEDs that blink all the different Christmas colors. And um, yeah, they're fairly set on having a little extravaganza for Christmas in it. So we'll nice. see if we can make that work. Cool. Yeah, my uh, my middle son, he does not want to sell our small camper. He, uh, I was like, you know, we can't fit in it anymore, you know. <laughs> And we have a giant Airstream, and he's like, you can't sell it. I have too many memories in it. And I'm like, all right, well. <laughs> so it's kind of funny how that how that all goes. They've yeah. got a – they want to go camping in the driveway. They want to go camping at, you know, you name it, down the street to go ride their bikes through the woods and stuff. So, yeah, yeah we, we had some fun this summer. We hit the, um, the local KOA, which I thought I would never go to, and it's actually – really great for families i mean the swimming pools they have mining at the one that we were at so you get a little bag of sand and stuff and they mine gems out of it <laughs> what is and koa it, uh campgrounds of america with a k oh. um yeah um and it's a little bit more expensive but it's like a gated community kind of thing where you have a uh like a key card and a a gate to get into the uh campgrounds and they have pools, they have much nicer showers, and they have uh, arcades and stuff like that. And hmm. it, it almost seems like, yeah, it's not really camping, but when you have kids, like a swimming pool is really, really appealing. So I got to, you know, hang out with my family and go swimming and, um, you know, mine for stuff and go for bike rides and hay rides. and Mine for bitcoins? Yeah, right? <laughs> Yeah, ruby gems actually. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's fun. I, I like that, and they they uh, they can't wait to get back out. Um, they like playing chess. They have a giant um, chess board in the grass there, and giant chess pieces. So mm. they uh, they want to get over there and play chess. And then after a while, Alex just wants to run around and knock all the pieces over. <laughs> <laughs> so they're pretty fun there. You just need to. Uh transplant some stuff from your old camper to the new one and then your son will transplant those memories into the new one and he won't be upset that is a good idea um he knows he knows he's building his bedroom and uh he's really excited about that so we have sketches and stuff of what the interior is going to look like and he is really really keen on you know helping build all this stuff and drilling the holes and using the the screw gun and all that kind of stuff. So, um, he's like, dad, you got to finish up with all this, you know, hard work on the outside of this thing so we can build my bedroom. He wants to, uh, he wants to see his drawers and he wants to have his little cubby hole and his lights and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. he's pretty excited. And, and some of that will come from the, the small camper. Um, but in the Airstream, it's all custom. It's all like curves and mattresses get cut with, corners on them and stuff so yeah. but uh yeah i don't know i don't know um my poor wife she she talks about how much work it is to get ready for a camping trip and stuff and i do a fair <laughs> bit of work too you know like yeah. loading loading the bikes in and all the groceries and you know the bedding and all that kind of stuff and 
getting the truck set up and all that kind of stuff and making sure we're safe and balanced. And anyway, and then the kids, like, they just want to bounce off the walls the whole time, <laughs> but, uh, they love it. So we'll probably never stop doing it. <laughs> nice. Then once the kids get old enough, they can do all that hard work of loading everything in. Yeah. And actually they're starting to help a fair bit. Um, my oldest boy, like I gave him the drill and I said, Hey, go, uh, go drill out these rivets on the, on the doors on the airstream and take the panels apart. And he did all by himself. Hmm. And so I can give him jobs now. I can tell him to get stuff loaded in and he'll, he'll do it for the most part. He does a pretty good job of that stuff too. So he's getting old enough now where he's, he's pretty useful. <laughs> yeah. My kid's not useful at all right now. Oh man. A lot of five months old, man. They start to be pretty cute though. Cause they smile and they want to, they want to goof around and stuff. Yeah. All right, Brandon. Uh, I don't know how often we're going to do this. What with schedules and all, but I figured a year was long enough. Yeah, that was a little bit too much slowing down, I think. Yeah, I had to <laughs> quickly recap everything. Um, yeah. So I don't know if anyone is uh, listening to this and you want us to talk about something, tweet to us at uh, Garbage FM and uh, maybe we'll talk about it on a future episode. Yep. Um, did you have anything else? No, not really. Uh, I'm excited to... Uh to have the podcast kind of like going again, but, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a busy life with three kids and a dog and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, you can reach us on Twitter at garbage FM or through our website at garbage FM. Uh, Brandon is on Twitter. Are you still on Twitter? Yeah, I'm still on Twitter. You're on Twitter at no mercy mod with a K N O W. Are you still on Google plus? <laughs> Yep, still on Google+. Plus. I haven't seen it for months, though, so... Brandon is the only person left on Google+. Plus. Correct. In 2018. Uh, <laughs> I'm on the web at jcs.org and on Twitter at jcs. And then there's going to be a garbage sound. Yep. That's good. <laughs>